James Pogue understands the business challenges of addressing diversity, inclusion, and bias in the restaurant industry. For decades, companies have been navigating the waters of difference, making valiant attempts to keep up with shifting policies, laws, understandings, concepts, and language. The team at JP Enterprises has developed a full suite of solutions to assist you in making the right decisions at the right time with the right support, and all the while keeping you the right kind of uncomfortable. Our diversity, inclusion, and bias assessment provides a comprehensive look at your organization from the C-suite to the front lines. The no-nonsense experience, led by expert facilitators, provides a deep exploration of diversity-related issues and builds your team's confidence in having important conversations about differences of all kinds. Executive coaching, online learning modules, and customized content development round out the offerings from JP Enterprises. We are here to make leaders the right kind of uncomfortable as we help you position for explosive growth the diverse, inclusive, and talented workforce. Learn more at jamespoke.com, that's james, P-O-G-U-E.com, and contact us at info at jamespoke.com. What is the best way for organizations to tackle diversity issues? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with James Pogue, CEO of the Dallas-based leadership consulting firm, JP Enterprises. James is a military veteran who spent nearly a decade in higher education focusing on diversity and inclusion and has since expanded his work to include multi-generational leadership to help companies and colleges recruit and retain younger people. He recently partnered with the Women's Food Service Forum to develop a series to attract and retain talent in the workplace. We talk about issues related to diversity among management teams and what is at the heart of the lack of diversity in the C-suite at publicly traded companies and how companies can address these issues. James said that organizations need to be focused on recruiting and developing talent that can address their specific organizational challenges, picking the right people based on their ideas and not necessarily their background. It's an interesting discussion this week on A Deeper Dive. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with James Polk. James, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. Super. So uh, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself um, and, and your background? Uh, sure. So I have uh, been in the work of uh, consulting and diversity, inclusion, and bias and public speaking since like 2008 or so. Uh, prior to that, I was a administrator and faculty member in the higher education space in New York, New Jersey, and Arizona. And um, uh, blossoming out of that came this work around diversity, inclusion, and bias. My research has always been around that. Uh, it wasn't called that at the time. Uh, inclusion and bias weren't the the buzzwords in the in the inside of the higher education industry at that time. But it's always been in that space. Who is being left out, and why? And are there are they structural components that are keeping people uh, left out, or included, or excluded, or is it human? Uh, elements and and what is the balance of those two and how can we get the best talent to the best places to create the best possible products and in many cases the best product are people at the higher education space anyway mm -hmm. so the uh i guess the 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 problem that we have um in in the restaurant space the ones that one that i cover is that uh we see an um industry that uh right now among the public publicly traded chains there are no uh black ceos not a whole lot of women ceos either for that matter um uh it's pretty uh pretty male and pretty white 
Um, that is uh, uh, that is also true to a slightly lesser degree uh, among the private chains. You see a little bit more uh, diversity, but not a whole lot among the larger private chains. And uh, but you also see a lot of efforts. I guess my question is, what are the barriers? What's what's going on here? Why don't we see more uh, diversity in the executive ranks? Sure. So let me level set by saying that much of what I'm saying today, um, as a result of sort of the social justice movement that occurred last year and previous and kind of leading up to that, is slightly different um, than what my, I might have said five years ago. So, uh, and I'll be sure to create the left and right boundaries there as we go. But I think part of what is happening is that it's it's a mindset shift. So let me start by saying that I think that we enter these conversations often with a black and a white literally in the conversation, or a male and a female literally in the conversation. Um, but that is because that's what's been put on our table, right? It's been what's in our inboxes and what we see on television. It's, it's the, the, the on-ramp for conversation, but it should be the on-ramp for a deeper conversation. And as we get to kind of a diversity 2.0 mindset, I like to call it, we might be thinking about or could be thinking about uh, the idea that when we talk about diversity, we often absent our white male colleagues and friends. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like everybody but them is diversity when that's that's just ridiculous. They are a part of the diversity that is there. So it isn't that there is no diversity at the C-suite level. It's what is the diversity that is there. And as a, as a result of that, what is missing? Right. And what are the questions that don't get answered because you don't have other kinds of diversity at the table? Being white matters. Being male matters. Being black matters, being a female matters, being gender non-binary matters, being an immigrant matters, all of these things matter. So if you want to have a comprehensive understanding of what is happening in your industry, particularly at the highest levels, then you might consider that because you are absent certain kinds of diversity and including other kinds of diversity, that there are gaps that are there. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by gaps? What kind of gaps? Sure. So can we say, for example, that women, simply because they're women, walk through the world with different challenges, sure. right? And, and see the world differently than men do. And as a result, can see challenges and solutions men can't see. Mm -hmm. If we can say that about women, can't we also say that about our Hispanic friends? Can't we also say that about our black friends? Can we also say that about our Asian friends? Now we can start to break out the different parts of Asian or break out the different parts of black or break out the different parts of Hispanic and Latino. It, can we say that there are problems and solutions, i.e., gaps that exist that don't even uh, are that are not seen, and challenges that aren't seen, and solutions that aren't discussed because you don't have people with that eyeball, that trained eyeball at the table. Mm -hmm. So then, the I guess the the solution to that was to be to make sure that you as a company have a uh, have a uh, broader range of people. Um, on, um, you know, essentially at the table. In other words, that you're surrounding yourself with um, not every, with not people who have your same background or, or who look like you or come from, uh, you know, uh, you know, essentially if you're, you're, or come from the same neighborhoods, whatever, um, that essentially you have a diversity of viewpoints, a, a, a diversity of, of backgrounds um, that, that are surrounding you, that are making decisions, that are helping to um uh talk about a lot of these things so you can recognize where these gaps are is that what we're saying yes and no so what let me say that the the end result the people bringing these ideas 
uh, ability to see challenges, solutions to the table is and ought to be the end result. What that person is wrapped in, i.e. their skin or their gender or whatever it may be, that is optional. Right. So if, if we have a bunch of really smart questions that we're asking our C-suite executives, for example, uh, can you talk about how your leadership shifted over the course of the uh, year of 2020 and 2021 as a result of the social justice and COVID uh, situations that occurred? This is a very reasonable question to ask someone. And if a if the black candidate doesn't have as good an answer as the white candidate, you hire the white candidate, mm -hmm. right? If, 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 if he or she is saying, well, you know what? My leadership shifted this way and shifted this way. I was able to see more uh, different kinds of things. I recognized that I had certain gaps and I started to inform those gaps by what I was reading and so on and so forth. But if the, the brown candidate or the black candidate says, well, nothing much has shifted for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, can you unpack that some more? Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm black. And so I, 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 I kind of get it. Oh, so that's the that's your answer. As a leader that wants to be a part of a C-suite organization, I think that's not a great answer. Really? Right? I think that we should expect great answers from people that want to lead great organizations, particularly in a time of turmoil and stress. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're saying that we shouldn't focus so much on, you know, who we're getting into those, into, into the C-suite. Is that your, is that what we're, and then, I mean, I guess that's the question here to me. Is that like I'm saying that you want talent. Mm -hmm. You want the best possible talent and you want talent that can that can address the challenges that are in front of you. And you have to come up that organizations, their processes have to come up with questions and solutions and structures uh, that help to suss out where that talent is coming from. If you have challenges around demographics. If you have challenges around culture, and by culture, I want to specifically refer to the way that people interact with one another that are different from one another. If those are your challenges, then you need to uh, come up with questions to help people uh, uh, push out how they would address those challenges. And if those challenges are related to gender, for example, your question should be related to gender. One can make an assumption that she might have a uh, better opportunity to discuss gender-related challenges because she is she. But that's an assumption. You have to give her the opportunity to showcase that. Because if he shows up and he has a ton better answers to the same questions, you got to hire him. Mm -hmm. it, it's inappropriate to hire somebody because they're a man. It's inappropriate to hire somebody simply because they're a woman. We want talent. And there's an opportunity for people that have been through certain uh, challenges, i.e. say, if we go back to the example, if you're a woman, you've seen certain things that men don't see. You had an opportunity to experience things that are going to help us. Can you please talk to us about what those things might be? Mm -hmm. Right. That, so I, we that, there, this is chess, not checkers. Right. And so we, we can't go into a making assumption that because somebody's a woman or because somebody's black or because somebody's white, that they are the best candidate. Mm hmm. All I know about you is that you happen to self-identify as a white guy when you walk in the door. That's it. Let's find out the rest. Right, right, right. Um, uh, yeah, uh, definitely self-identify as a white guy. <laughs> took one of those DNA tests and basically said it was all white. It's, it's, it's not even. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm almost half. Only half joking on that one. So, but I mean, I guess the the thing is, like, I guess the concern that I get with the industry is that, like, sometimes it th seems like if you just look, if you just look simply 
at the makeup of the executive suite. And I think, and it's definitely, I mean, I've seen a lot of changes, certainly among the restaurants that I cover, uh, probably sort, sort of, you know, uh, positive changes over really the past year. We've seen a lot more diversity within the boardrooms, which seems to be very, very important. Um, we do see a lot more hiring, you know, you know, not just, you know, hiring more, um, uh, you know, not just more, you're seeing more hiring of, of uh, black C-level executives and, and uh, uh, women C-level executives and Hispanic uh, C-level executives. You, you are seeing a lot more moves on that. But I guess the thing that I get concerned with is that when, when you look at the executive suite, that, you know, for an industry that has, I mean, you know, uh, for, for a country and an industry that serves a population um, that is increasingly diverse, that the industry is sort of cutting itself off of, uh, of, of viewpoints that might be able to attract all of these particular groups. You see, you see what I'm saying? That, yep. that, we're, that it's sort of not really doing itself any favors. Yeah, I, I think that um, you, you're correct. So the, the vast majority of organizations, particularly in the food industry, the bottom of their organizations is significantly more diverse than the, the top. Right. And uh, there's just a lot more difference. Um, and, and that's how it is today. But what I want people to also keep in mind is that it is um, we have to look at the product. We have to look at the outcomes. And by outcomes, I mean, is the top of the organization, uh, are they good people who are trying to do the right thing most of the time and just making mistakes? Mm-hmm. Or are they are they reinforcing? a set of values that keep certain people from uh, having the opportunity to get to the the tops of the organization, right? I I would never tell an organization of C-suite leaders, you need to get rid of three of these white guys who are 45 to 60 and replace them with her and, uh, and and this black guy and this uh, Latino and and one Asian, you know that 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 is not that is not the right way to do it. It's looking at the wrong end of the telescope. Mm-hmm. The correct end of the telescope is you want talent to address the challenges, and the people that have the best opportunity and assumption to address those challenges are people that are going to come from those particular groups. Mm-hmm. You also though want to give 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 the white guy the opportunity to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he may have the, be- the better answers and then put him on the team. And but the, 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 you also have to uh, uh, require that the leadership speak to their challenges. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this is kind of moving into a secondary phase, like whatever the challenge is that my organization has. If I happen to be the leader, I need to be in a position to say this is what our challenges are. We did. We ran the numbers. These are our demographics. Great. Uh, we also have um, some engagement kind of considerations we're going to work really hard on. We didn't do as good a job then, 5, 7, 10, 15 years ago. We were uh, uh, sparked or poked or pricked over the last year and a half, two years. And I'm ho- hold me accountable as the leader for addressing it. It's going to take a little bit of time. Give me some grace. But we're going to get there. And that's what I'm hoping to hear more and more from leaders, that kind of vulnerability. You know, we've been talking for the last maybe 15, 20 years about vulnerable leadership. Well, here's where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. So is it it's a talent gen, it's a talent development issue. And that is, is is that what we're saying is that that the issue needs to be that organizations need to be focused on giving everybody opportunities to to advance and, and to promote the development of talent. Uh, starting from the bottom to give everybody an opportunity to move up through organizations um, so, you know, they can, you know, realize the opportunities to 
get into these C-level positions? That is absolutely one part of it. And, and going through your processes and your structures to see where are there places where there are um, stopouts, where there's at this level, we just seem to lose a ton of women. Why? Let's investigate, let's unpack that and let's fix it if there's something to be fixed. And, and that's where we get into, uh, it's, it's not just about, hey, we're going to develop you. No, we're going to develop our organizational structures. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the humans, as I mentioned in the very beginning. It's like, are we talking about human issues or are we talking about structural issues? Most of the time, it's both. And so the structural issues can reinforce to the human leaders that this is how things go. That above this level, of course, you're going to be more likely to be to be male, and 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 uh, above this other level, of course, you're going to be more likely to be 55 to 60, right? So, but is that what has to happen? Uh, that that's that the we have to investigate the structures to identify what is happening. We have to continually do that, you know. Like most things, the the goal is uh, a successful journey. Mm-hmm. It is there is not an endpoint. So uh, we've seen in um, obviously in the past uh, year, we've seen a lot of companies take some real steps towards, uh, you know, you know, they've made uh, we've seen a number of of, uh, C-level diversity executives at some really major companies, McDonald's, Young Brands. Uh, We've seen uh, a couple of companies, Starbucks um, and McDonald's in particular, sort of establish um, sort of executive executive level standards for um, uh, for their you know for the way they go about um, diversity within their organizations. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think that things have? I mean, do you think that that uh, you know that just generally speaking, companies have have uh, uh, have taken some positive moves in the right direction on these issues in the over the past year? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's two things that I would say. Um, is a company in a rush to change or are they in a rush to say that they are changing? Right. And so there's many companies that ran right up to the starting line, got in the blocks and then stood up and said, okay, let me see how, what everybody else is going to do real quick. Right. And I see that as the, we wrote the email last year. We had the, um, we had the discussions with our, with our teams. We had the sort of all hands meeting. We had the listening sessions. Okay. And now what? Right. And what's going to happen over the, what's the next two or three things that you're going to do? Are you going to pull apart structures? Are you going to dig into your HR? Are you going to get executive coaching so that you can see what you didn't see before? Are you going to stand up a powerful, and this is key, diversity, equity, and inclusion task force? And if so, what is its job? Is it going to report up to HR to provide them a policy and process review? Is it going to report up to the C-suite to show, give them uh, visibility on uh, different components of the verticals to see these are where the challenges are, what is its job? And how are you going to evaluate that task force? Many, many organizations have some version of task force slash ERG slash affinity group. Why? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose for it existing? Mm-hmm. You have a purpose for everything else existing. How are you going to measure its, its success? When, when we uh, elevate diversity, inclusion, and bias to the same level of professionalism as every other vertical within a traditional organization, HR, marketing, tech, finance, operations, then we are on our way to something. In most cases, that is not the case. In most cases, most clients that we work with, 
they're somewhere else on that journey. And so our job is to poke them with a stick and say, what, what if you were to do this differently? You've got this, uh, this affinity group, you got five affinity groups. Why do they exist? Oh, well, because you know people might feel more comfortable being around people that are quote unquote like them. Okay, how are you measuring that? Right, and isn't there something to be said for James, black man, uh, might have uh, might might get some value out of being a part of the indigenous peoples group, and I might stretch my thinking. So, is that another value component that might exist there? Should your C-suite be required required to be a part of an organization that's different than uh, the one they self-identify with? And if they're going to, if they're a C-suite person, shouldn't they be a chair or a co-chair of that group, as opposed to a visiting member who basically brings the water back and forth between two meetings? Mm -hmm. So we have to add more rigor to what we're doing around diversity. And, and I think that will is uh, are the next steps that are going to happen for many organizations. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, a, that's interesting. So you think it would be valuable for um, you know, C-level executives and probably others, I'd imagine, uh, to not only participate in some organizations of, uh, you know, people from different groups, but to have leadership. So um, uh, they have leadership within these groups. Uh, so they 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 get this different perspective and have to, you know, uh, you know, they're not necessarily surrounding themselves with people who look, think and act like them. 100%. And I think there's three reasons for that, three examples of why that is the case. Um, as this gender shift happens uh, over the last, say, seven, 10 years, you would hear many, many male executives uh, on ramp the conversation of why gender uh, equity was so important to them, because I've got daughters. In other words, it's personal. And you, you had to, you saw your daughter become 15 or 16 and struggle with A, B, or C. She became 18, 19, or 20 and was struggling with D, E, and F. Okay, great. I'm not mad at that at all. But that's a great model for suggesting when it's closer to you, you're more apt to learn it. So if you're not going to walk across the street voluntarily to be a part of the affinity group to learn more about them, why shouldn't we uh, legislate it via policy? And leaders lead. It is what they do. So if you're going to be a part of this affinity group, you ought to co-chair it. And, 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 and so that's the second part. The third is when you're in the meeting, there's cross-learning that's happening. You may need to sh share with the people in the affinity group, oh, that's not how the organization works. It works this way. You think it works this other way. That's not how this works. We don't meet biannually. We only meet annually. And so you've got one shot for 15 minutes to make your point. You're not going to get to make all 10 points. you got to share two. And so let me help you craft what that's about. Right. And so you help people learn to speak to C-suite executives in a meaningful and powerful way. But you're also learning yourself the language and the, the, the culture and the difference and the challenges that are happening within the context of that meeting. I was talking with a, a friend of mine in the engineering field. She happens to be a, a black female, African-American female. She's a high level engineer, brilliant, and has been doing it for a long time. And I shared with her the, this idea of uh, if her uh, C-suite people were, had been a part of these affinity groups, how would that go? And she said, well, that would be good. Maybe they can come to half of the meeting so we need to be able to talk without them around. And I said, well, what is the value proposition in that? Mm -hmm. How do you learn to speak to power if the powerful people are not in the room? Right. It is a skill set. It is a it is it requires courage. It requires confidence. It requires comfort. Right. And so if you're going to do it, then do it. It's supposed to be hard. Leadership is supposed to be hard. Right. That's why it's called leadership. Otherwise, be a be, be a part of the team and be a part of the fellowship, which is great. 
but leadership has different um, uh, requirements. Right. And I think a good leader would probably want to hear some of those comments that people would rather say when they're not around. I mean, I don't think it does any good for lead, for um, for leaders not to hear things like that because you need to know what's going on in your organization. I mean, just fundamentally, regardless, actually, to me, whether it's it's a, a diversity issue or not, you really want to know what's going on in your organization and, and how things are going. I mean, I understand that people might not feel comfortable, but I always feel that like an organization in which the the leader, which people are afraid to talk in front of the leaders and the leaders don't want to hear it is not a great one. Agreed. I, I think, though, the difference between diversity and I, when I again, when I say diversity, I'm including all of our white friends, too, that uh, what's missing there is that it is the, the emotional component mm-hmm. that um, sure, they want to know what's happening in our organization. But being there when this person shares with me, uh, you know, James, the white guy. Hey, James, um, you, you talk a lot about how diversity is important to you. But remember, at the conference, you did this. And then you did this. Now, you may not have meant to hurt me or hurt my career, but that's what you did. That's what you did. And, and that's on you, James. And I may not want to hear that. There, there's a, a researcher, um, forgetting her name, it'll come to mind in a second, but she was in a room full of all white uh, students and for the most part, young people would say 25 to 35. And she asked them, um, how many of you would switch places with a black person right now? Hmm. And none of them raised their hand. And she said, that's because you know something's wrong. You know it's not good, right? So why haven't you done anything about it? And, and, and it's that moment that of unbelievable discomfort, right? The tip of the spear that I, I can understand why people would want to avoid it. But I encourage leaders as much as I can to embrace the discomfort in the military, what they call it, embrace the suck, right? That it's going to be uh, terrible, it's going to be hard, but this is how we get through it. And your, your team will look at you with a certain level of admiration and esteem for putting yourself in a place to be vulnerable, not attacked, right? It, it may happen, you may get attacked, right? That could happen. But you're definitely being vulnerable. You're going to get scratched. It's going to feel horrible like a gut punch. And then what are you going to do about it, Madam Leader? What are you going to do about it, Mr. Leader? Right. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's what some of these uh, conversations a year or so ago uh, could have put us in these positions. But now you've rushed up to the starting line to want to start. What are you going to do now? Right. Right. So um, one of the uh, one of the. uh, well, the, the biggest company I cover, obviously, is McDonald's and um, recently has and uh, recently is put in place um, is essentially tying some of their executives pay executive pay to diversity goals. What are your thoughts around that? I mean, do you think that's something that more larger companies should consider doing? Uh, is it necessary? Do you think it'll help? It has to be the right goals. Again, it has to be the right side of the telescope. Um, there's, we have an assessment that we used to help people measure kind of where they are and where their organization is. And I think that is a better way than saying we've got 17 uh, Black people, uh, 15 Latinos, 12 Asians, but one's biracial, so that's 12 and a half. And, you know, I, I just think that it's a better way to measure and say, how good are you at leading across the diversity spectrum? 
Mm-hmm. Right. When you do a 360 analysis of that, do broadly speaking, you get the same scores from everybody, all these diversity groups, and they're pretty high. Um, when I, as your supervisor, am talking to you about diversity issues, do you have a level of comfort and confidence that I would expect of someone at your level? Mm-hmm. Can you do you know your demographics backwards, forwards, and upside down? Do you know where the pain points are in the people-to-people interactions, whether they be team members or to guests or otherwise, that are are there as challenges? And do you have a plan to uh, uh, peel those back? Or have you started, or at least are you asking the right kinds of questions as a leader? See, I, I think these are the better ways to identify whether or not a leader is further, far enough along on their diversity journey. If we're simply looking at numbers, I think we are, we have a simple answer to a very complicated question, and it's not enough. It's not rigorous enough. We should, we ought to do better. Right, right. So if I'm a small company, then what what should uh, what should I do if I'm a, the operator of a of a small restaurant company? Because um, that's you know most of the people that listen or you know are, are at the head smaller companies. What should uh, what should uh, what should I do to to make sure that um, I'm provi- you know that I'm I'm generating the talent and providing the opportunities uh, that that uh, I need to 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 you know to you know to succeed in this. Yep, I, I think that uh, the paraphrase something Brene Brown said, which is uh, you can't be a diverse leader if you don't have diversity of thought or surrounding yourself with diversity. I don't think she meant you got to go out and get a bunch of black and brown and otherwise friends. I think she's saying, what are you reading? What are the podcasts that you're listening to? What are the conversations that you're challenging yourself with? So you may not have the opportunity as a small organization operator to to hire up uh, these different kinds of people, if you will. But you can surround yourself with those conversations. You can challenge yourself to have them. You can take a podcast like this and say, "Okay, C-suite people, here's this podcast. We're going to spend 30 minutes of our meeting discussing how this might impact our work. Right. And, and, and how are we how would we be measured against any one of these other uh, assessments that's going on? We've worked with many companies that have that are smaller, that simply do not have the reach that some of the bigger orgs have. And, and the challenges, though, are the same. They're still serving a, a diverse guest pool and they want to do a great job. Again, I go back to most people are good people and they want to do the right thing. And they go to work every day to try to create a, a positive change and a positive difference question is how can you do it better and if you happen to be in a room with people who are wrapped in the same skin as you and happen to be the same gender as you it doesn't preclude you from asking the difficult questions you can be a great leader inclusive of diversity in your leadership uh, regardless as to who you are in in the past uh, some of our c-suite friends diversity wasn't a high level acumen and diversity was not a requirement to be a c-suite leader and so they may be a little behind the power curve and they got to they got to they got to ratchet up they got to muscle up on that but it's doable most organizations have the structure to make it happen they just have to have they may need some advice and they just need the will super james this is fantastic appreciate you joining us this week on the podcast absolutely had a great time thank you so much jonathan and that should do it for this week's episode of a deeper dive which was edited as always by the wonderful kimberly kasmerick 
artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this on other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you find your podcast. I'm Jonathan Mays, the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business Magazine, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening. Thank you.